On this episode of Come Pray With Me, I interview Rabbi Chuck Feinberg of Interfaith Action for Human Rights. The IAHR was founded in 2006 to bring people of faith together to fight for human rights issues. They are currently focused on rehabilitative justice and ending prolonged isolation in prisons. We will be learning more about the work they do and how to get involved. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show today, Rabbi Feinberg. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. My first question is, who is Interfaith Action for Human Rights and what work do they do? So Interfaith Action for Human Rights uh, represents uh, people of faith uh, from the district, Virginia and Maryland. Uh, and our mission is to change, uh, to change the focus of uh, correctional institutions from being primarily on punishment uh, to on rehabilitation and healing. Uh, and so our work deals with uh, advocacy for change in area correctional facilities uh, in, in Maryland and Virginia, as well as in the district. Uh, and we do education uh, on criminal justice issues and especially on conditions in correctional facilities. Uh, we also have a hands-on project, a pen pal project. Uh, and we also do, uh, we uncover serious allegations of human rights abuses. And when feasible, we were able to uh, find uh, uh, help from different uh, law firms to provide pro bono representation uh, to people who have been abused in prison. That's a lot of great work that you do. So how did you come to be affiliated them and what does your work there consist of? Well, I, I, was a, uh, I was a congregational rabbi for 42 years uh, human, and human rights and social justice issues were always important to me in my work. Uh, and I also at different times in my career uh, was served as uh, either a contract chaplain or a volunteer chaplain in different correctional facilities. So I had some experience with that. Uh, and so I'm one of the founders of the group. Uh, I was uh, involved in a rabbinic human rights group and I, we got, I got involved uh, with this group because of my work uh, in the rabbinic, uh, it's a national group. Uh, uh, and because of that, I got uh, invited into this group. Uh, we were once, originally we were a branch, a regional branch of a national group. And in the summer of 2014, we decided to separate and become independent. Uh, and so at that time, and so we became uh, fully incorporated as a nonprofit and took the name Interfaith Action for Human Rights in December of 2014. And at that time, I was looking to retire from the congregation uh, in, the, in June of 2015. And so the group decided that since I was about to retire, I was a great candidate to be the executive director uh, of this group. So I was a founding member, a volunteer, and then they decided uh, that I should become the director. And so I've been doing this as the director for the last seven years. 
That's definitely uh, impressive how much you've been able to accomplish. Do you mind me asking what caused this uh, separation? No, no, it, it was uh, it was the initial incident was something on a junior high level, so it wasn't on policy. Uh, and then we decided that the national group was not as uh, interested in in kind of developing their regional branches, and I think that that proved to be true. Uh, so we have good relations with the national group, and their focus is on federal policy, and our focus is on state and local policy. So how does faith influence the work of interfaith action for human rights? Well, I think that's what, uh, I think a core value of most uh, every faith tradition is that no matter what a person has done, he or, should, he or she should be treated with respect. And we feel that that core value is what unites us. That is the dignity of every human being, no matter uh, what, even no matter what terrible kind of thing they may have done. And therefore, uh, uh, condition, and conditions in prison are just the opposite, that there's tremendous disrespect and abuse of people in prison. And we feel that, that is, uh, that's just self-defeating, even from a rational point of view. Most people in prison will leave, uh, and the way they're treated in prison uh, just uh, make, can make them more bitter and even more broken than when they came in. Uh, and so we feel that that whole, that whole way of treating people has to change uh, so that uh, they can be supported to make different decisions for themselves. Uh, and, and I think with that support, they will make different decisions for themselves. But that doesn't go on now. Now there's, there's little preparation for returning to, uh, to the community, uh, to one's family uh, during the time people are in prison. Uh, the programming is often poor, or if it is there, it's, it's not, a, not available for everybody. Uh, people are transferred from one prison to another, and programs that exist in one prison don't exist in another. Uh, so there's, there's all kinds of holes in the way the way program is even done. Uh, and then the quality of the program often is very poor. So uh, recently you've been taking a lot of focus on trying to end prolonged isolation in prisons. Correct, that's so, our major, been our major legislative focus is to end uh, what's called solitary confinement or prolonged isolation, which we consider an act of torture. And the, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture defined isolating anyone for 15 consecutive days for up to 20, 22 hours a day as an act of torture. And too often our prisons uh, torture people by isolating them for much longer. So we have legislation. So one of the things we do is we write legislation and try to find sponsors for the legislation in our local legislatures in Maryland and Virginia. So, um... I know you listed what the United Nations has to say about prolonged isolation, but what are some of the other effects that make it so damaging in the long run? Yeah, well, it's based on a lot of scientific and uh, medical evidence that uh, isolation can, causes basically symptoms of mental illness, uh, par severe paranoia, hallucinations, uh, 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 high anxiety, uh, lack of sleep, uh, 
terrible nightmares, on and on it goes. Uh, and there's also, also accumulating evidence now that prolonged isolation causes uh, is uh, causes uh, del deleterious effects on one's physical health as well. So uh, there's a study that was done in North Carolina that showed that people who have been in solitary for any length of time, uh, their mortality rate uh, was so much higher than people who had not been in solitary, even after they left prison. Could you tell us a bit more about your webinar series, Reimagining Criminal Justice? Sure. So uh, one, of, one of the things we try to do is educate religious communities and the greater public uh, about COVID, uh, about COVID, about uh, conditions in prisons. Prior to COVID, we, we would do these programs in churches or synagogues, etc. Uh, when COVID hit and that was no longer possible, we went online and we found out that even we got more people to attend if we went online. So, um, so what we do is we, we interview uh, returning citizens who've had direct experience with solitary. We interview other advocates who, have, who are very knowledgeable about the issue on a more system-wide. Uh, we interview authors who have written, who have researched and written books uh, about different aspects of criminal justice, especially involving corrections and and returning uh, and returning home. So those are uh, and so we have these interviews. Uh, we post and we record them and post them on our website and in you and our YouTube channel. That's wonderful. So how can people get involved in your work? So what, what in different ways uh, we have a pen pal program. So. Uh, which is focused on DC residents. One of the peculiarity, one of the many peculiarities of the District of Columbia is that uh, some years ago they offloaded all their most of their criminal justice responsibilities to the federal government, um, and so uh, all the judges are appointed by the president. All the prosecuting attorneys are federal prosecuting attorneys. The public defender service is funded by the federal government. Uh, and so anyone who's convicted of a felony in the district, either of a federal law or of a DC code violation, serves his or her sentence in a federal prison. And we have uh, approximately around 3,000 uh, district residents in 122 prisons around the country. So DC residents are incredibly isolated from their family and home. Incredible, very difficult from, for their loved ones to be able to visit them. Uh, and so we thought one thing that we could do is to launch a pen pal project just uh, uh, geared to DC residents. Uh, we do have other people from other places involved in it. And so we have about 250 people writing uh, to people on the inside uh, all over the country. And so we both have people all over the country in prison. And we have, uh, and many of our pen pals uh, live not in our area, but in different parts, uh, parts of the United States. And we even have a couple of people in Canada who are pen pals. So, so the pen pal project is a national project. So that's one way, an easy way to get involved. And don't have just write a letter from your home. Uh, we, all we ask is people to uh, make a commitment to write at least once a month for a year, uh, and we hope that they would do it for longer, but at least for a year. 
Um, so that's one way to get involved. Another, if you live in our area, uh, then we ask you to support our legislation, uh, to write letters to your, uh, your state delegates and senators to support our legislation uh, uh, in, in that way and to come to our educational programs. That's great work. I am definitely impressed with the reach of the pen pal program. So what are some of the different ways that Interfaith Action for Human Rights has used prayer in its mission? Use prayer in our mission. I don't know. I, we don't, since we're an interfaith group, so we have all these, we, uh, we are, our board is interfaith, you know, people of different religious traditions, uh, and the people we serve have, uh, are, are diverse from a diverse body of religious prison. So, um, uh, so we certainly encourage prayer, uh, but we feel that prayer in itself is not sufficient uh, to deal with these issues. You know, they need some more action on a whole different, on different levels. But certainly prayer, uh, uh, we know the people in our Penpel project uh, often are very prayerful uh, and are very spiritual. Or, or, and, or, and or religious. Uh, and so very involved in that as well. Very, very come from a very strong faith commitment uh, and, and speak about the importance of prayer for them in their own lives. Do you have any prayers you would like to share with us today? Do I have a prayer? Um, good question. Um, well, my prayer is uh, for us is that that we as a we as a country, as a people of many of all kinds of, of diverse backgrounds, whether it's diverse religiously or diverse diverse ethnically or diverse racially, uh, that we can come together uh, in the belief that every person is created in the image of God. And because every person is created in the image of God, we, we pray, pray that uh, they treat everyone with that kind of respect, uh, that everyone bears God's image and therefore deserves to be respected. And so I hope that everyone can embrace that belief. If everyone could, I think we would be in a healthier place today. That's very true. I couldn't agree more. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with us on the show today? I think I'm good. Unless you have more questions. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was nice to meet you. Okay, glad. And I hope people can come to our website. Uh, InterfaithActionHR is uh, .org is our uh, address. So InterfaithActionHR.org. Check us out on our website. To learn more about Interfaith Action for Human Rights, visit www.interfaithactionhr.org. <laughs>